Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. So I began my newsletter by saying on this Tuesday in congressional history, circa 2021, Representative Paul Gosar, Republican of Arizona, shared a photoshopped animated video that depicts him killing Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and swinging two swords at President Joe Biden, prompting condemnation and calls for his Twitter and Instagram accounts to be suspended. Now, this is not exactly shocking behavior for Paul Gosar, who has been doing this kind of crazy stuff for a long time. Uh, his extremist views are pretty well known. He spread conspiracy theories about January 6th. Uh, he spread conspiracy theories about the white nationalist rally in Charlottesville. Uh, back in February, he appeared in an event uh, whose organizer called for white supremacy. And so this is Paul Gosar. And yet, I think the important point here is that Gosar is and is going to remain a member in perfectly good standing of the House GOP, uh, along with Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Bulbert, Matt Gates, and Madison Cawthorn. Meanwhile, Punchbowl News, which, by the way, does really good work, is reporting this, that the House GOP leadership is bracing for rank-and-file lawmakers to attempt to strip committee assignments from all three 13 Republican lawmakers who voted for the trillion-dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill. Several of those lawmakers are also ranking members, and those could be at risk, too. Um, apparently, this is the line, the bright line. A lot of the anger is directed at Representative John Katko, who voted for the legislation. So here's your standard here, that you can be a complete bigoted nut job like Paul Gosar, and you are perfectly okay. But if you dare to vote for a trillion-dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill, by the way, the identical bill that 19 Republican senators voted for, um, were coming for you, were coming for your head. So the Republicans are kind of in a purge mood, that, that you break with us on anything, and we're going to have your head on a spike. So that's just kind of a setup for the day. Um, we're going to do a little something a little bit different today. We're going to break out of the Beltway punditry. I'm thinking that the title of this will be, you know, um, Outside the Beltway. Uh, and I am joined by my fellow Midwesterner, Shannon Freshour from Ohio. First of all, Shannon, good morning. Thanks for joining me. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, you, you Ohioans think of yourself as Midwesterners? Absolutely. Like, uh, so the, 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 we are the Midwest. No, see, we're, we're the Midwest in Wisconsin. I, oh, I, I, I actually work for some folks in Cleveland, and, and I really developed – a certain skepticism about whether they were really Midwesterners. but well, Cleveland's its own kind of thing. Because Cleveland plays with uh, Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh, you know, Pennsylvania. You have to have the whole debate about whether or not Pennsylvania qualifies. But, you uh, know, Ohio, Columbus, you know, we're the heart of it all. Okay. Because so our um, advertising. Well, actually, was okay. But uh, um, now, you're famous for many things. And I want to talk about a lot of stuff. I want, to, I, I want to cover a lot of ground. I want to talk about um, what it's like being a centrist Democrat, what it means to be a centrist Democrat. I want to get your take on the infrastructure bill. I want to talk in some detail about what's going on in Ohio uh, from 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 the ground. Uh, so as I said, you're, you're famous for many things, but but you're primarily, you know, if somebody just simply Googled your name, they would probably come up with the fact that you ran against Jim Jordan last year. I did. And you know what? I was thinking about him uh, actually earlier this morning, not just because I was going to talk to you, but, but you know, we're living in a world in which in which Jim Jordan, we've moved the Overton window of, of crazy and reckless and irresponsible to the point where 
I didn't even list J- Jim Jordan as among the craziest Republicans. He's the moderate. He's the moderate middle of the Repu- of the House Republican Party at this point. And I've said that for a long time. I'm like, he's right. I mean, there's the 14 who are the super extremists. You've named some of them, but he's sort of in now that like his level of crazy is now the moderate acceptable middle. <laughs> That's true. It's I was terrifying. wondering you were going to say. Okay, now so you lost to him um, back in 2020, but but his. Can you explain why that dis- that congressional district is called the Duck District? I mean, it's kind of infamous in gerrymandering circles. As I, I wish I wish you could show an image of it, but why is it called the Duck District? Because it's literally the shape of a duck. It's fourteen part um, <laughs> counties that are like partial counties. Like there's there'll be ten precincts here, there'll be like fifteen precincts there, a couple full counties, but it extended from almost from the county that touches the Indiana state line up through almost to Cleveland almost around Columbus, basically it was sort of the swath in the middle. And it was designed because um, when John Boehner was Speaker of the House, he hates Jim Jordan. He straight up hates Jim Jordan, has hated him for decades and tried to draw a district. Um, When he went in in the redistricting in 2011 and said, I want 12 Republicans and four Democratic districts. And, And I want Jim Jordan gone, basically. And they're like, the only way we can do this is we have to keep Jordan. Like, we can't give you that breakdown. And he said, fine, but I want a district where basically Jordan can't escape from. And Jordan escaped (laughs) from it. So it's great. And a lot of this, I mean, they put it in emails. I mean, there's a whole set of emails where it was so egregious that the, they changed the constitution, uh, our state constitution on how our districting works. And now they're ignoring that. Okay, so you're really following the nuts and bolts of, of all of this of the uh, of the redistricting, and this this is this may be a little bit granular for folks, but you know what, what are they? Based? I mean, you know, Ohio is kind of a red state, but I mean, it's heavily gerrymandered. I mean, you're kind yeah. of you're kind of a textbook example. So who's who's what's well, going on right now? Who's winning and who's losing? Uh, the Republicans are winning because they already had control, and they've basically completely decided to ignore. The constitutional mandates, they've blown through deadlines, they are finally starting to hold hearings, and the state legislative maps, which were already done, are have already, the way when they redid the Constitution, it went straight, any arguments went straight to the state Supreme Court. Okay. The state Supreme Court is currently split. It's a 7-3 uh, split, but the problem is we have one Republican um, elected who should have recused himself because his father's the governor and a name defended in the case, <laughs> and refuses to recuse himself, although he's recused himself in 39 other cases where his father was a defendant. He, well, he recused himself, except this is this is the one that matters, though. I, have you noticed this, that there'll be a lot of politicians who'll be very casual about some differences. I mean, I'm obviously, you know, the infrastructure bill is going to come up in a little while, but um, when it comes to when it comes to the redistricting, this is, I mean, this is it. This is the, 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 the knives are out. Oh yeah, I mean this you, is you can't you can't screw with Daddy. I I won't rule with Daddy on anything else. But hey, come on. Uh, but you know, the thing is, is that I mean we've got the Secretary of State saying it's like on from text messages saying it's unconstitutional, and his chief of staff saying, yeah, but it's going to pass anyway, so you might as well support it. Yeah, I mean this this, this is what was introduced in Discovery. <laughs> it's it's okay. like crazy, yeah. like the level of just brazen. Ness in the Constitution was supported by the the voters of the state. 
they wanted it in response to the last round of gerrymandering, and they're just completely ignoring it. Okay, so you know, multiply this times fifty, really, and you get a sense sense of how uh, messy this is going to be. <laughs> what, what? Okay, so before we dive into some of this other stuff, though, I I, I got to bounce some stuff off you. Sure. Um, I have some I have some ads from the Senate candidates, but I I cannot do today's podcast without commenting on uh, Professor Dennis Prager. He's not really a professor, but he r- runs a thing called Prager University. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- this is this. Okay, but I just need to preface this by saying, and I'm you know, stop me if you've heard this before, but th- this is this is kind of painful to me because I actually knew Dennis Prager back in the day before he he went crazy. I mean, when he, when he was actually a serious guy who wrote books about you know ethics and and the and about happiness and was was actually, if you were to draw kind of a, a continuum line of talk radio hosts, I would say that Dennis Prager would have been toward the more serious and substantive. And yet, uh, like so many others, he has just gone around the freaking bend. And I don't know whether you've heard this, but he's he's on he's on Newsmax, which probably tells you something. He's on Newsmax yesterday and he's talking about you know how terrible the the vaccine mandate is and and how it mm-hmm. stig- how it stigmatizes uh, people who are unvaccinated and i i, I just want to play this because you can't excerpt it i want to make sure people have it in context where he's talking about uh, contrasting this to the aids crisis here's here's the president of prager university dennis prager historians will just ask how did this happen how did people get governed by irrational fears? Irrational. Whether whether it is of of the non-vaccinated who who are because it's the a communicable disease of America, as I have not seen in my lifetime any pariah group like uh, like this during the AIDS crisis. Can you imagine if if gay men and intravenous drug users who, who the, the, were the vast majority of people with AIDS had they been uh, pariahs the way the the non-vaccinated are? But it would have been inconceivable, and it should have been inconceivable. They should not have been made pariahs. But uh, but yeah. this is kosher. This is okay. So I don't know. I I'm old enough to remember the 1980s. It's like Dennis, where were you? What he planet was, were you? He was, you know, trying to force gay men to be pariahs. Up until 2020, a gay man could not give blood unless he hadn't engaged in sex with another man for a year. In 2020, they made it three months. You have to abstain from sex for three months to give blood. Yeah, a gay man like with AIDS in the 1980s. Imagine if they were treated like pariahs. Like I, of all the analogies you could, yeah, no, it was. Uh, it's much worse with unvaccinated people today than it is being a gay man with AIDS in 1981 or an intravenous drug user because nobody ever thought of intravenous drug users as pariahs. But See, I don't even know what I don't even know what's happened to people's minds, um, except that the the gap between guys like Prager and the people who are running for the United States Senate in your home state. How about that for a segue? Oh yeah, it's not. It, I mean, you you have this amazing front row seat to the who can be more deplorable, Josh Mandel or JD Vance, or and this is what makes it so good. This is what makes Ohio so great. It's like it's not just JD Vance or Josh Mandel, is it? There's a guy named Mike Gibbons. Yeah. Is that right? Yep. And and, and he's also can we just play an, an ad for, for Mike Gibbons? Because Mike Gibbons is serving it up hot and spicy. I believe in an America where we kneel in devotion, not disrespect. I'm Mike Gibbons. 
Socialists left fake news and woke corporations have one thing in common. They hate America and they hate our faith. They want our money and our minds to replace God with government. But the America I know kneels to no man. I'm Mike Gibbons and I approve this message. It takes gridiron grit to send these leftist losers back to the bench. Mike Gibbons for Senate. Okay. So I mean, and these are ads running on television between like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. I mean, these are on air and have been on air for months. And so as as a left-wing loser who hates America, your response? Well, the primary is not till next May. Um, <laughs> so I, that's a waste of money for a whole lot of things. I actually worked as a poll worker as, as the left-wing Democratic loser who had to poll monitor um, in our county because they have to have Republicans and Democrats equally divided. We had people coming up and asking where the Senate um, – ballot was because they wanted to run because they'd been seeing ads for so long that they thought that a 19 or the 2021 election was the Senate race. Okay. So here, here's my, here's my question though. Mm-hmm. Are we, I think people know the kind of campaign that Josh Mandel and JD Vance are running when Mike Gibbons is running. Are they reflecting what Republicans in Ohio want, or is this also going to be having the, the effect of, of, of changing Republicans. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's the, the cause and effect. I mean, if, if you run ads like that, and I can't even imagine what Mandel and J.D. Vance are running, although I have a J.D. Vance ad. If, if you pound the airwaves, you know, during, you know, Jeopardy for, what, nine months or so, what does that do? I mean, is it changing the political culture? Is it, I guess, I guess, is it, is it, is it making Ohio Republicans crazy or crazier, do you think? I think that, I mean, Obviously, Trump did really well here twice. Um, But I think that there is such a, we're such a polarized state. You know, we've got really large cities that are very, very blue. And pretty much everything else is red. Mm. But the fight between those is a constant struggle. Um, And it does, because a lot of, because, you know, the population of Columbus is almost a million people, it gets a lot of resources. It's also the state capital. So it gets resources. So then there's this like, well, why does everything go there? And so it's a microcosm of sort of the national separation. Yes. Yeah, I, like I think Republicans are getting more and more, as they get more and more power, they're getting more and more greedy for power and they're getting more and more corrupt. We're the most corrupt state in the union. Okay, but why? What, what's happening? What is, what is your take about what's happening with the rural vote? That I mean, the very, rural vote the, is the, very uh, conservative. It is right, it is what, extremely conservative. But I mean, you also have to remember, they don't have full access to a wide variety of sources. Rural broadband is a huge issue. Um, you know, there are a lot of places in Ohio where you can't stream Netflix. You have to go, you have to get movies from the well, video store. Come on, come on, come on! Broadband is not going to solve the problem Democrats have with rural. No, voters. no, no, it's not. But I mean, okay. it's it's an issue if you think about it. You don't have access to what you can't access. You don't have you know. So there's no differential. You hear it at church. You hear it in school. You hear it. You know your grandparents talking about it because of the structure of the right wing in the in the 80s and early 90s figured out that. If you didn't have access to other things, if you could get them on talk radio, this hurt allowed people to hear things and you could control what they heard and then you could sell it and more and more and more. Okay. And that, that's, that, that, that's or, so we're yeah. like generationally embedded in this. 
that there's a separate universe. Okay, that's 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 right. That's all true, and and I've, we've talked a lot about this alternative, the alternative reality silos, and the power of, uh, you know, the right wing media ecosystem. But at some point, does that become an excuse for Democrats? Is there something wrong with the Democratic message? Have but, Democrats forgotten how to talk when they have the ability to talk to these rural voters? Because this is happening all over the country. But a lot of Democrats have just simply written them off. Right. They just sacrificed them for, you know, more urban compacted votes. And that's what that's where a lot of this comes. So, but they've also, and this has been a 30-year struggle, at least where Democrats have sacrificed state legislatures. Okay. Why are they doing that though? I've no, I've never been able to understand it. My first paid job in politics was um, as sort of a staff assistant at the DLCC, which is the the Democratic version to elect state legislators. And we had the struggle where they just completely ignored us, you know, in 1996. It's, they've never, they've always been a national party. They've wanted the White House, they've wanted the Senate, they've wanted the House, maybe a governorship or two. But they've never looked below. And Republicans have always been really good at knowing that they needed a farm team. They build them up from the base up. They start them at the state, you know, they start them at the school board, move them to the, to the county council, move them to state ledge, move them to, to Congress, then move them up. So you've got this built in relationship over a decade or so that Democrats don't do. I myself, I don't do it. So you, you probably have seen this piece in the New York Times by Mark Penn, uh, the former Clinton pollster, and Andrew Stein, who I think was the uh, the president of the city council in New York. Mm-hmm. And they're writing about you know what Biden and the Democrats need to do. And they, they make a very, very interesting point about uh, who Democrats really are, that even though this is a party that, uh, that often seems captured by the coastal elites, the reality is, I'll read a paragraph here, the reality is the Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema are not outliers in the Democratic Party. They are, in fact, the very heart of the Democratic Party, given that 53% of Democrats classify themselves as moderates or conservative, which is amazing. While Democrats support the Build Back Better initiative, that's the big one, 60% of Democrats and 65% of the country support the efforts of these moderates to rein it in. It is Mr. Sanders from Vermont and Ms. Ocasio-Cortez from New York who represent areas ideologically far from the mainstream of America. So I wanted to get your take on on all. That is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, in our in our district, um, we have a, one of the county chairs for the Democratic Party is a woman who is pro life. You know, but we don't talk about that as a party that that that's you know that that exists within our party. We are a big tent, and you know, Mansion being able to be elected in West Virginia speaks to his ability to understand what needs to happen and how to talk to um, voters who don't vote Democrat. So, so what do you think about the whole dance about infrastructure? You know, the 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 face-off between the moderates and the squad, um, the holding one bill hostage to the other. What was your take on that? It's literally the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I mean, and the thing is, is that what you have is a lot of people who are young, who don't have experience in legislating and don't know what it's like to be in the minority. They don't know what it's like to get nothing accomplished. And they don't, so they think, you know, so they've got, you know, these Instagram followers, they've got Twitter followers, and they believe that that is reality. I mean, I remember when Pelosi, during her, during the squad's first term, 
said something like, I don't care how many Twitter followers you have, or I don't care how many Instagram followers you have. I care how many votes you bring to the floor. And you brought four. They were yours. You know, you bring me the votes to pass the bill, then I'll listen. But until you can do that, no one cares. And that's true. And, you know, Jayapold at least was able to bring, you know, a solid core of votes until they crumbled, which is why, I mean, I think the best strategy was just to finally call the bluff and make them put it on the record that they were going to vote against bringing, you know, clean water to people and fixing bridges and fixing roads and bringing jobs to communities that really, really need them. Do you think the Democrats have done a sufficient job? What is your reaction to the Democrats' um, job of messaging this this infrastructure bill? Because, I mean, objectively, we are this is a lot of money. Okay, we why? Are terribly, we have never been good at messaging because we believe that A, the effort, and B, the outcome should speak for themselves. We don't believe in, in selling things because it seems um, crass. And so, it's, mm-hmm. and that's why we need Crash. people who can sell. I mean, this is a massive transformative bill in and of itself. It took 50 years to get it passed. Well, Bill, Bill Clinton, though, was good at messaging, wasn't he? I mean, so some Democrats Bill are Clinton good at was messaging. only, like, he was, like, literally the only good person we had at messaging. Nobody, Gore couldn't do it. Hillary couldn't do it. We, we're not, Obama was kind of good at messaging, but he was more good at messaging for himself and like the overall image of it, he didn't know how to message legislation and successes. Hmm. You know, Pelosi isn't great at messaging. She's phenomenal at getting things done. She's just not good at messaging. Schumer can do neither of those things because we should be heralding at every turn how many judgeships we've installed and how we've transformed the federal judiciary with a wide, diverse um viewpoints on the bench that have never been there before. But we don't talk about the fact that there are almost 30 judges in the first 10 months of Biden's administration. So let, let me bounce something off you. Uh, David Leonard in the uh, the New York Times has uh, access to this uh, new poll that's out exploring how swing voters are actually thinking. And, and it's a poll of working class respondents. Uh, this would be non-college educated voters. And, and you know, one of the conclusions is that Infrequent voters are not a huge Democratic constituency just waiting to be inspired by a sufficiently progressive economic message. That doesn't do it. Um, you know, a lot of things, uh, you know, uh, uh, affect them. But, you know, race is a real problem uh, for Democrats. I want to get your thoughts on it. So, so he writes, many black working class swing voters are attracted to candidates who focus on racial justice. Many white working class swing voters are turned off by these same positions. There's no simple answer on race for the Democrats, given that it must attract a, a multi, multiracial coalition to win. But the political cost of a campaign message focused on ethnic identity seems significantly larger than the benefits, according to the pollster. Among five different candidate soundbites presented to respondents, the worst, the single worst performing one, uh, that the pollsters internally described was the one that uh, they described as woke moderate. And it's basically like our unity is our strength, our diversity is our power. For too long, special interests have blocked critical progress in addressing systematic racism, climate change, and access to affordable health care. That, that didn't play well. What did but play well- But you're not talking to people. You're talking, yeah. that's, that, that question, that sentence, that word structure- is condescending yeah. to most people. It's uh, talking down to people. Okay. Put, you're, it's making, you know, a doctoral thesis 
as a question to people who may not have even gone or finished college. You kind of sound like James Carville here. You're basically saying that they're, they've been spending too much time in the faculty lounge. Oh, God, yes. I mean, but we're Democrats. That's what we do. Okay, so here's the most successful soundbite. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> this country belongs to all of us, not just the super rich. But for years, politicians in Washington have turned their backs on people who work for a living. We need tough leaders who won't give in to the millionaires and the lobbyists, but will fight for good jobs, good wages, and guaranteed health care for every single American. Apparently, the the, the non-college educated that's swing Sherrod, voters. I they, mean, that they, sounds like Sherrod they, Brown. That sounds so exactly. That, okay, I mean, that's, so that, and that's why Sherrod Brown gets elected in Ohio, because that's what Sherrod Brown talks about. That's what Sherrod Brown believes. That's what Sherrod Brown fights for. And that's how we talk to people, because it's action. It's talking on a level that people understand instinctively huh. and emotionally. Okay, you're so you're not I, talking over them and you're not talking at them. You're engaging them emotionally, which is what Democrats rarely do. Okay, I have a, I have a couple of uh, sound bites from JD Vance for Senate ads. Uh, oh, they're let, the same let, thing. Okay. They're well, same let, thing. let me play the let me, let's play let's play the first one where uh, JD Vance is really pushing a populist line and I, I think for people outside who may have just seen the the deplorable tweets, uh, this is interesting because in many ways, and I want that you, we'll talk about this on, on the other side, but in many ways, he sounds like what you'd expect a Democrat to sound like. Uh, this is J.D. Vance, ad number one. The leaders of this country have decided it's easier to get rich off the backs of the middle class than it is to build something for the next generation. Let's raise the taxes on the multinational corporations that are shipping our jobs overseas, mm-hmm. and let's cut the taxes on the small businesses that are investing in our communities. If you send a kid to college and layer that kid up with debt, you, the university, have to cover some of the debt payment so we're not destroying our children. we got to break their power if we actually want to be a country where workers without college degrees can thrive in this country. Okay, so Shannon, I, I have to, I have to tell you, I get the appeal of that, and and it is, it is kind of a curveball coming from a right wing Republican, isn't it? If the, it is, but if that's, I now JD Vance's ads are apparently paid for by a super PAC, and they right. say, you know, the super PAC, the super PAC is almost exclusively funded by Peter Thiel, of like notorious Facebook fame. So it's nonsense, basically. You know, it's I mean, it's. It's saying the pretty words and knowing that there's nothing behind it. Now, you have to know that Peter Thiel is behind right. the super PAC and all of that. So you have to get down in the – if you're watching between, you know, Jeopardy questions, you're not going to dig that deep. But it is, so, it is, it's the words that, you know, it's quoting Sherrod Brown to get elected. So this is the question. I mean, there's there's clearly a a populist mood and there's a populist sentiment among working class swing voters. And so I, I, I see how Republicans, or at least J.D. Vance, is going for them. What are the Democrats saying to them in Ohio? Uh, well, luckily, we have Tim Ryan, who's running, who is a phenomenal candidate who, you know, is working class, um, was a great House rep. And, you know, has been fighting these fights for a really long time. And for the first time in a really long time, Democrats in Ohio are really united on making sure that that Tim Ryan does win that seat. I mean, that's an open seat that we've got a good shot at. And us being represented by Sherrod Brown and Tim Ryan means that we're going to have, you know, people who are actually care about the working class and making sure that the working class gets benefits in Congress. 
So who do you think is going to win this Republican primary? I understand that you don't think that Josh Mendel will win, which is interesting because he's been leading every poll that I've seen. But you don't, don't think he's going to. OK, why not? He's, OK, well, he's lost twice. I mean, he's lost the primary twice. Right. Um, but I think in the end, it's going to end up being um, Jane. And I can never remember Jane's last name, but Jane was Timken? State Party Chair. Timken, yeah. Timken, yeah, yeah. Like we've Jane, Josh, JD. I can't be expected to remember everything. It's, just, <laughs> right, it's, it's right. a bunch of J's at this point. Um but I think that being the woman, um, she is equally as vicious, but she does it with a smile and um, puts some makeup on it in a way that neither Josh or JD do. Hmm. So, I mean, I mean, Mandela is just, see, he's so, he's obviously a, a fraudster. I mean, that's part of the yeah. problem. I mean, you can just see it's, he's, he's embarrassing. You're saying she's the more cleaned up version of it. Now, obviously she sounds like she might be the more formidable candidate in the general election. Yeah, she would be. I mean, she definitely would be, um, you know, playing as Republicans have figured out if they have, you know, hateful women running, then it neutralizes Democrats having progressive women running. So I understand, I understand that Josh Mandel um, blocked you on Twitter. Josh Mandel, the day before he announced, went through and blocked all of the threatening um, Ohio Democrats. He went through, <laughs> like literally went through and proactively blocked all of us. So I, I want to talk about some of these other Senate races. But you you mentioned before that, that you had actually worked at the polls last week. That yeah. you were there. There were there, there, there were elections. And, mm -hmm. the and, you know, I. So what did you hear from the voters? Some of the voters were apparently uninformed enough that they actually thought they might be voting for the Senate. They what, did, what, yes. what, else, what else were you picking up? Um, what's, I, what's had, I had at least five people um, literally ask me if they were voting on Dominion machines and if they were that they didn't want to. Um, no. No. And I was like, and all I could think is every time they asked me that was, yeah, that lawsuit about how their brand has been damaged. Yeah, they're going to win that one and they're going to win big. Literally, people would just be like, this isn't a Dominion machine, right? And they were it wasn't like a joke. It wasn't facetious. It was like literally they were scared that it was going to be a Dominion machine. See, this is the problem is that, is that we can roll our eyes at the, at, the, at the fraud and the lies, but they do stick with people. I mean, yeah. they are out there. I and mean, we're seeing this with the vaccines, the vaccination. I mean, if you get your, your diet of news, there's actually an interesting kind of a chart out there, I think, with the Kaiser Family Foundation put out the chart. You know that if you listen to you know One America Network now, whatever the hell it's it's called, or 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 uh, Newsmax or Fox News, uh, the odds that you will believe you know complete bullshit about uh, vaccinations is is exponentially higher than if you get your news from other sources. I mean, these lies are actually they they live out there. So. Yeah. I wanted to get your 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 comments. We we meant we talked about it a little bit on the podcast yesterday, but I'm but I'm just fascinated by people like Josh Hawley who are yeah. decided that one of the big issues in 2022 is going to be masculinity, that, that, <laughs> that, that you liberals are trying to emasculate men, and that's why men are in their basements playing Donkey Kong and watching porn. Yes, because before women were had the right to vote, porn didn't exist. There was no porn in the history of, of the world before women were allowed to vote and voice their opinions. Well, there was no uh, porn hub, I mean... No, there wasn't, but there were no. pictures. <laughs> okay. Pictures existed. Yeah. Um, and so did, you know, prostitution. So it wasn't like these things didn't exist in a vacuum. Um, but I think that it's sort of that, like, tying, if you can keep people angry, if you can keep them unbalanced, if you can keep them fighting something that doesn't exist, but it seems like it should exist, 
like racial hate, you know, or, you know, that the quote unquote illegals are taking jobs from people. Yeah. When in fact, the real conspiracy is it's the robots that are taking jobs. Mm-hmm. That's what's taking people's jobs. But they don't talk about automation because then people would realize that the rich were getting richer by having robots do their work for them and not have to pay benefits and salaries and all of that stuff. So they well, have them fighting the immigrants community. Right. You have, you, you, have, you have to have a target. But I want to just go back to this this whole masculinity thing because, I, I, again, and I use this phrase oh, yeah. too often, but I, but I also kind of remember, you know, I mean, Republicans have a real problem this year, and I just don't know whether it becomes a national problem. I mean, at one time, if you had as many uh, candidates for the United States Senate who were credibly accused of abusing women as the Republicans right now, it would be a problem, and it would be a problem all around the, the country. So, so, for example, one of the big stories today is that, um, in fact, Politico features it in the newsletter this morning, you know, Sean Parnell, who's the leading Republican candidate in Pennsylvania, yeah. is testifying today in this really ugly child custody battle with his his former wife. And, and he, she has accused him of abusing her, abusing the children. And uh, apparently he is starting to bleed a little bit of high level support, but uh, Trump is all in on him. And you have Eric Greitens in Missouri who tied up his mistress and took her pictures. You have Herschel Walker, who is a nut job on like so many different levels. So give me a sense, though. Does it do those things nationalize? I mean, I, you know, you, re- think, you probably I mean, remember, you know, when when you know, something like that would have would have colored, you know, uh, the, they would have been the, done. I mean, think about this. Well, Well, think about this. Greitens was done. He was done. And then because of where the party has slipped to, he got to come back. Nothing has changed. He made no apology. He made no restitution. He did nothing but got to come back. Because we don't cancel people. We just make them go sit at a corner. People get timeouts. They don't get canceled. So have the rules changed so fundamentally, though, that this stuff doesn't matter anymore? I don't know. It makes yeah, me, it, it scares me. And I don't know. I don't know. I would like to believe that if you, you know, choke your wife out, well, in a fight with her and you slap your kid so hard that you're leaving a welt, that that should permanently eliminate you from public service. But I don't know if it does. I, I don't. And that's, that's where we are, you know, as, as a society, as women who constantly look at decisions that are being made on our behalf and without our input. So tell me about your political philosophy, because we throw around these terms like moderate and centrist a lot. So, you know, you consider yourself, correct me if I'm wrong, a solid centrist Democrat, correct? I'm more of a like, can we just get shit done? Like, can we stop doing other things and actually get shit done is kind of where I come in. Like, I don't think that Joe Manchin, who says, you know, I want to make sure that the budget is correct or, you know, I don't support the... Uh, removal of the filibuster because this opens a lot of can of worms in a a position that he has held consistently since at least 2011 um, makes him not a Democrat. You know, I get that there's Democrats are the hard left is very good at messaging to the rest of the hard left. And they are equally as willing to spout nonsense to simply state it as they are in the hard right, you know, whether or not it's true. And that's, it's, and it's us unproductive. We need people who are actually willing on all sides to get things done. I don't care if a good idea comes from a Republican. I don't care if it comes from a, a super liberal Democrat. If it's a good idea, then we should probably imp, um, input it into law and try yeah, and make changes. 
This is another reminder, though, that Twitter is not real life, which we need to do probably on a, on a weekly basis yes, here. Um, I also noticed because I was uh, I was trolling your your, your Twitter account <laughs> um, that you're pushing back on some other progressives who are furious at Merrick Garland. This has now become a real big drumbeat. That Merrick, oh. Gar Merrick Garland is a coward. Merrick Garland is weak. Merrick Garland needs to resign or be fired because he's not more aggressive in pursuing some of the, the Trump era cases. Uh, your, your, your thoughts on that, because you're, you're not joining in the anti-Merrick Garland um, crusade, as far as I can tell. First of all, you know, the rule of law means we don't know what the investigation looks like until the indictments are unsealed. You know, that's what it's supposed to be. But we also don't say, hey, we're going to, this person needs to be arrested because they did bad things. Okay, well, what things did they do? Well, they broke this. They broke the law. Okay, what law did they break? You don't get to say, well, they broke the law and put them in jail. You have to, you know, under the rule of law, under our rule of law, you have to actually have, you know, a code site that they committed. You have to have an indictment. You have to have evidence. You have a trial. They have a conviction. Those things take time. Like, well, why haven't why haven't they um, why haven't they released the Steve Bannon indictment yet on the criminal contempt? Right. And someone's like, it took them nine. You know, I forget one of the the big lawyers on Twitter was like. They did this in nine days um, in, I think it was the Ravel case. And another big lawyer was like, yeah, the government lost that case. <laughs> and that's the point. Like, sure, you do things fast. You know, make sure all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. I've, you know, I was a litigation paralegal, a civil litigation paralegal for 20 years. I know what it takes to put together a trial. And those ones, we had a hell of a lot less burden of proof. You want, if we're going to go after these people for crimes that they have committed, Make sure that they are airtight because it doesn't do anyone any good that they just get to they, they get to walk, you know, and get to. Well, and, and, and there's there's also I mean, I understand the impulse that you don't want to bring, you know, the knife to the gunfight type thing. On the other hand, it is interesting watching, um, you know, members of both parties ratchet up the, you know, locker up type mentality and that yes. both parties have become now addicted to can we jail and try or can we try and, and, and you know, arrest, try, jail. Um, our political opponents, and so it, it, it is. It is that that awkward position to be in the middle, of saying, "Hey, um, simply because the other side abused the rule of law does not mean that we need to embrace the same tactic." I mean, the temptation is often overwhelming, but there is that moment yeah. saying, "If we are really, really frightened about the politicization of the Justice Department to come after political foes when Trump is the president, then do we really it. want to do the same thing when we are in power?" And there is this push and pull, right? I mean, there is the push and pull. Well, we need to be as aggressive and cutthroat as they are, but that's a downward spiral. That's a dangerous downward spiral. And it's a, it is, it's, an, it's, it's a spiral we won't recover from. You cannot shred the integrity of the rule of law and come back from it. It is the cornerstone of democracy. Because democracy is our democracy is based on the Constitution, which is the rule of law at its at its most fundamental. Shredding that ends it, and we don't have if if the cases exist. Merrick Garland is a federal prosecutor at his core. He is a federal judge and an appellate court judge. He's not going to bring a case that he doesn't know he can win, and he doesn't know that he has every duck lined up because he doesn't only think about hey. What's, how is it going to play on CNN or MSNBC? How is it going to play in front of a jury? How is it going to play in front of the Court of Appeals? How is it going to play in front of the Supreme Court? And that is a good thing. He's the right guy at the right time. 
because he's pissing everybody off simply by doing his job. So, and, and maybe it's a sign of the times that somebody who is doing his job in that particular way, that traditional way, is pissing everybody off. That 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 he he is sort of doing what you'd expect and hope an attorney general would do. And yet the political world has become become so deranged that that he looks like the outlier when he's not, if you follow me. No, so, I agree. It's 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 a terrifying position where it's so, not it, it's not about justice. It's not about, you know, seeking justice or seeking retribution. It's about seeking vengeance. It's about seeking it's, well, it's yes. a bloodlust. There's a very significant difference between seeking justice and seeking revenge, and that difference gets lost in a hyper, hyper tribal environment. So, Shannon, tell me your reaction, the reaction of your fellow Democrats in Ohio to some of these polls that we're seeing, um, the drop in the poll numbers for Joe Biden, um, the indication that next year might be a, I mean, that, that's the conventional wisdom now, that it's going to be a, a midterm wipeout of the Democrats. What is your, what is your sense of all of that? What do you think is going to happen? I'm not that concerned because of the hand that Biden was dealt and if you're going to if your poll numbers are going to collapse, let them collapse right now. Well, you've gotten, you know, you've gotten judges in place. You've gotten COVID seemingly under control. We haven't had a really a successful post Delta variant coming out. We've got people vaccinated. We're getting little kids vaccinated. We're getting boosters vaccinated. That whole thing, hopefully by next summer, will be moved into sort of a seasonal thing that we can handle. It's also though once next summer comes these jobs that are in this that are in this bill are going to be actually existing in people's lives and so it's going to be a whole different universe. There's a reason that it took 50 years to pass one of these bills because they're hard to pass. But they're also going to bring jobs to people and it's a lot harder to be unhappy with the president and unhappy with Congress when they brought you jobs to your district and they are verifiable jobs to your district. It's what? you know it's going to be messy. We're going to be uh, testing that that proposition over the next year, whether or not that kind of that kind of politics actually moves the needle, as opposed to simply the the, the raw cultural war stuff, because we don't know. Well, spring. You know, we do though, because that's why Republicans are leaning so heavily into the cultural wars, because mm. they know that that mm. they know that this stuff is going to be hard to beat. That's why they're talking about race, and that's why they're talking about you know school funding and and you know whether or not parents can ban books. And parents can't ban books. Here's the problem with this. Schools can't ban books. You could ban books when kids couldn't download them from the library or from Kindle on their phones. Like you can't stop technology. Those, you know, it already exists. You can tell kids that they can't read a book, but they're just going to go download it and read it themselves because you can't. It yeah, was easier right. to control thought and ideology when technology wasn't at the fall of her hand. I mean, literally, you have basically every book that's ever been written in the history of the world at your fingertips. Every piece of human knowledge is at your fingertips. This is what's so frustrating to authoritarians these days. This is this is why it's it's that's that's a hard line of work to be an authoritarian Egypt, book burner. Egypt took I mean Egypt took down the internet for three days and they couldn't still couldn't stop it. They still had Twitter <laughs> because people could could uh, text into Twitter. Shannon Freshour, thank you so much for Thank joining so me much. on the podcast today. We appreciate it very much. Uh, Shannon Freshour now runs Snowpack, which is a group uh, focused on supporting women elected officials in Ohio and around the country. We didn't even have a chance to talk about that, but I appreciate your time and your candor today. 
Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again.